Hi, I'm Patrick Radden Keefe, a reporter at The New Yorker magazine. On my new podcast, Wind of Change, I investigate a rumor I haven't been able to shake since I first heard it years ago. It came from someone inside the CIA, and the story was that the agency had written one of the best-selling rock songs of all time, a song that changed the world. So that was the tip that started me on this story, and it only got crazier from there. Listen to Wind of Change, a new original series from Pineapple Street Studios, Crooked Media, and Spotify. In the fall of 2016, Colin Kroll and Russ Yusupov had launched an app called Hype, a platform that provided creators the tools to run live interactive shows. Because it was so new, they were working with former Vine stars to fill it with content. Hype employees were even making some of that content themselves. Despite the co-founders' continuing power struggle, some of the Hype shows were pretty entertaining. There were cooking demos, news shows, even a program called Tool Talk, where Nick Gallo, an early employee at the company, would call hardware stores and ask them to guess the name of a certain tool. If they got it right, he'd send them a delivery. But Rusty Weiner recalls one in particular. There was a woman named Sharn Welby, and she had this thing she called the movie show, which was basically trivia. She would use all the tools she had at her disposal from things like Snapchat. So she would replace her face with a famous celebrity and talk and say, who am I? The first person to type into the chat who I am will win. Wow. Was that a joke? John, John, your first joke. We've got to have a toast. It was the first moment out of anyone going live where I was like, oh, my God, this is really fun. Who thought? that basically asking trivia questions live over the internet was going to be so fun. And definitely the next time she went live, you know, there's only six or seven of us in the room working, but we kind of jumped onto our phones, got really excited to go live. Russ, who was leading production on these experimental shows, saw potential in that question-answer concept and tried it in his own show. He started going live multiple times a day doing something called the Emoji Game, where he would put a few emojis together that were supposed to represent a a common phrase. And whoever was watching would compete to guess what the phrase was. At a certain point, Russ and Colin realized that hype, as a platform, was a little too scattered to catch on with the public. They saw the draw of this trivia game and figured, hey, why not try and build something out of this single, well-produced show? There is a game, and I cannot remember what it's called, but it's basically a game of luck where it's like three straws or ABC and everyone playing is basically guessing, is it going to be A, B, or C? And everyone that guesses B and it's B, they get to stay in the game and it keeps going until there's only one person left. And Russ was kind of like, oh, we'll just take that game and instead of it being random luck, we'll make the three things, three questions they have to answer. They named it Hype Quiz or HQ for short. At the beginning, the game was being treated like an offshoot. Russ was hosting it, and staffers were watching. But once it became clear they really had something, they sought to hire a professional to fill the gig. I happened to be, I believe, stepping into or out of a therapy session when I got a call from an old pal named Nick Gallo, who I worked with at The Onion back in 2008. And Nick was the photo editor there. And 
we were kind of both the same age and he was this crazy dude you know was a street artist graffiti artist from staten island just like a street kid and just had this crazy energy about him that was kind of infectious like every, everybody loved hanging out with this guy and we became friends and he put me in photo shoots and so i got a call from nick out of the blue hey man would you like to come in audition? I'm working with these guys. They're doing this. They started Vine. They got this new app. It's some kind of trivia show, game show. We're not quite sure what it is yet, but we're looking for a host. Scott Vergowski was planning to move out to Los Angeles, but he figured he would give it a shot since he had nothing to lose. I went in there. I was unshaven, this overgrown beard, overgrown hair, wearing a moth-eaten, nasty old vintage sweater with my glasses, which I don't normally do when I'm auditioning for something that I want to look good on camera for. And I, yeah, I just looked pretty bad. And I, my attitude was, screw it. Let's just be loose. And truly, I really don't need this job because, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. I didn't really think too highly of it. Both Nick and Russ were there to observe, and they asked him to improvise a little. This was right at the time of that Facebook murder. Like, I think there's some crazy guy who, like, drove by and just I shot a random person or something in Cleveland around there. It was a crazy story, and it was live-streamed. And uh, I made some flippant joke about it, which sort of got the room groaning. It seemed like it went pretty terribly, but Scott wasn't faced by it. He just continued to plot his move to the West Coast. A few weeks later, I got the call saying, hey, we want you to do this. And by June, I was showing up to 138 Spring Street, home of Intermedia Labs, where uh, we were plotting out this thing called HQ Trivia. They went live with their very first beta show on July 10th, 2017, with about 48 players in the game. The jackpot was 50 bucks. Scott kept a recording of it. Is this testing? Hi. Hey there. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you, the person who signed up for HQ. That's what this is. That's what this thing is that you did. Do you know what you did? Do you know why you're here? Congratulations. You are one of the early adopters to HQ. You're one of the first people to see the transmission coming live from beautiful south of Houston Street in Manhattan, New York. I'm your host, Scott Rogowski, and I'm going to be playing a game with you today and maybe every day for the rest of your life. I'm Alyssa Bresnag. This is Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ Trivia. By July of 2017, HQ had all the ingredients for a bona fide game show, and they spent that summer developing the game as their user base grew little by little. That is, until the infamous Sweet Green incident in November. With this rush of attention, HQ is scrambling to accommodate all of its new users and keep the game from freezing. Vanessa Valorio, the office manager, recalls the company's rapid expansion. We just blew up. When I started, there were about 10 people and we grew to about a little under 50. More viewers meant the need for more bodies, more engineers to fix those glitches and to fend off bots that were now trying to cheat the game. A business department to field advertiser inquiries and start expanding to markets in the UK, Australia, and Germany. Designers, writers, researchers, backup hosts, and bookers to enhance the production itself. Managers and money people. At the start of 2018, following that long run of press attention and that big, glitchy New Year's Eve game, 
an actual office culture began to emerge. It was still scrappy. People brought their own laptops to work. There was a long communal table everyone crowded onto, even Scott. The cramped studio where they recorded the shows wasn't even soundproofed. They had to disable the door buzzer because sometimes deliveries would interrupt the game while it was on air. Tim Donnelly, a writer there, said everyone had this sense that their little startup was suddenly the talk of the internet and the tech world. You could tell people were lining up to get a piece of this thing because, you know, at the time it had over a million views a night. And that's just so rare for any advertiser in this day and age of streaming and on-demand stuff to get all those eyeballs in one place at once. So you could tell, you know, people were taking meetings with big companies. Everyone who'd parachuted into the company was just trying to keep up. The staff, especially the engineers, was working around the clock. But there was a happy chaos about it and a real sense of potential. They all were hoping that they could become rich. I think that was a half of the motivation was we could be rich, we could invent the next big thing. In order to make that happen, Russ and Colin needed more money. As you might recall, they'd already secured $8 million from Lightspeed Ventures to kickstart what eventually became HQ. Now it was time for a much larger fundraising series to expand beyond a few engineers and a bare-bones production team. But even as HQ was becoming more and more of a national phenomenon, they were having trouble attracting investors. It was this hot company. It was the end of the summer or fall. And you just knew they were going to get this massive funding round, like Silicon Valley VCs can't help themselves. It was the hot thing. That's Kurt Wagner, the former Recode reporter we heard from in the last episode. I really wanted to break that story, so I started calling around and basically realized that all the typical players that you would expect to fund a startup like this were not funding it. And not only that, but not really interested in funding it. And I was like, that makes absolutely no sense. Like, this is the app of the moment. Why would these people pass on that opportunity. Kurt began digging into Russ and Colin's past at Vine after he'd been acquired by Twitter. Pretty soon he was hearing all those stories about how they were difficult to work with and reports that Colin had made employees uncomfortable. I probably did the same due diligence that a lot of these investors did by calling around, talking to former colleagues, talking to former bosses. And pretty quickly, you paint a picture that these guys, while talented at their respective roles, aren't necessarily the people that you would want to lead other people in a day-to-day management opportunity. After about a month of reporting, he put what he discovered into a story. Its headline was... HQ Trivia's founders are facing fundraising roadblocks after investors learned of alleged bad behavior. The report said that, while most of Silicon Valley's top investment firms had met with HQ, they remained skeptical of the app's business prospects and concerned by Russ and Collins' poor track record as managers at Vine. Specifically, they were scared off by Collins' reputation for acting inappropriately around women. One anonymous investor called his actions egregious. The story summarized them as creepy. Neither Kurt Wagner nor I am aware of any accusations of sexual harassment that were made against Colin. Even so, Silicon Valley wasn't interested in risking its money on two guys with well-documented managerial issues. And when Kurt's story was published, Colin's past became a liability. I think he called every employee and he said, look, I'm getting word that this story's coming out about me. I don't know what to say other than like, it's really not true. It's going to look bad for the company. It's going to look bad for me. The story made things uncomfortable between Colin and his employees. 
A few of them told me that, after that, he kept more of a distance. It also further soured his partnership with Russ. My understanding is that Russ, in particular, was kind of caught off guard a little bit. I don't think he felt that he knew the extent of what happened at Vine with Colin. And I was told later that the story created a bit of a challenge for the two of them, or a lot of a challenge for the two of them, because Russ suddenly felt like, what the hell, I didn't know this was such a problem, and now we're already you know, in bed together making this next company, and all of a sudden I'm learning this about you for kind of the first time. A word about Russ. I've been in touch with his representatives for a few months now, but as of this recording, he hasn't agreed to an interview with me. When I asked for a comment about this recode piece, his spokesperson said that Russ was surprised by the allegations and that he continued to try to support Colin as a friend and as a business partner. Colin already hated being in the spotlight and press attention in general. And to be publicly singled out really bothered him. As Colin's friend and coworker, Rusty could sense it. I think that article tormented him. I think it caused a lot of fear and anxiety. I imagine it's, as funny as it sounds to say, it's probably not easy to be a multimillionaire at a young age. It's probably very hard to find people around you that can relate to you, that you can trust to not want something from you. And I think that article definitely separated him from the world even more. Russ and Colin always presented themselves as co-founders, even if, on paper, Russ was HQ's CEO and Colin was its CTO. But after Kurt's piece came out, Russ further cemented his place at the top of the company. There was a clear shift in, this is not, you know, two people running this together now. It's very much Russ in the driver's seat. And uh, Colin was, you know, just relegated to doing the coding and running the engineers. And he just became more siloed off into his side of the office. I mean, they would sort of sit in front of each other. You know, their desks were, as we're sitting here with almost looking at each other, but the desk arrangements changed and um, Colin sort of just, you know, put the headphones on and just be in his own world and sort of not, not even interact with Russ much anymore. Before we go on, a quick break. Water Cooler Trivia is a weekly trivia contest for work teams. It's super customizable, low stakes weekly fun. And contest and results are even sent over email or Slack. Remote work can be isolating. So it's especially important now for teams to look for new ways to connect. And a weekly trivia contest always sparks conversation. You choose the categories and difficulty for your team and can even choose the timing, like a Monday morning contest with results sent on Tuesday. You can even choose a personalized category that Water Cooler Trivia will write for just you each week. It's crazy easy to get started. It takes just under 20 seconds and then you receive a join link to share with coworkers and then the weekly quizzes start. Tons of companies are digging water cooler trivia, from teams at Lyft, Nike, Bain and Company, all the way up to a group of high school teachers in Arkansas. A more connected work team and weekly trivia fun? That's a win-win scenario. Head to watercoolertrivia.com boom and you'll get four weeks completely free, no credit card required. That's watercoolertrivia.com boom for four free weeks. And now back to the show. With Russ at the wheel, HQ finally secured another backer, a company called Founders Fund. Founders Fund is a venture firm co-created by Peter Thiel, a powerful conservative billionaire who got very rich as a co-founder of PayPal 
and continued to make more money as an early investor in many other major tech companies. A partner at Founders Fund named Cyan Bannister, who declined to participate in this podcast, led a round of $15 million in funding for HQ. The firm's driving philosophy is that, above all else, founders know best. So that investment was both a much-needed boost of capital, but also an assurance that the company would remain in Russ and Colin's hands. When HQ's executives announced the round in the press, Colin put out a statement to address their earlier recode report. He apologized to his former co-workers, saying, I now realize there are things I said and did that made some feel unappreciated or uncomfortable. The investment brought the value of the company to a whopping $100 million. Tim Donnelly remembers the high of that moment. In the first year or so of startup life, everything is like sunshine and rainbows and venture capital money. As I learned, venture capital money is just like basically betting for the future and nothing has to make any money anytime soon. No one has to have revenue coming in right away. Oddly enough, yes, that is the tech world playbook. Feed money into a company to help it acquire as many customers as possible and then figure out how to be profitable. A company's identity, business plan, and revenue can all be fluid as long as it keeps up that user count. HQ had checked that box. Engagement was soaring. Brands were knocking at their door. And now they'd secured a comfortable runway. A few weeks after the investment, they aired their best game ever, which saw a record 2.4 million viewers. You might recall from episode two that Russ even placed a little bet on their future growth. Russ bought a bottle of champagne when we hit like 2.4 million. This is, we cracked this at 3 million. That was the goal. We're just going to keep growing. Now, all they needed to do is figure out exactly how they would grow the company. There's this really crucial moment in many a startup's trajectory where an idea takes off, the company is growing like crazy, and its founders are confronted with an existential question. What are we? The answer usually reveals a startup's underlying ambitions for world domination. No, we're not a directory of college students. We're a social network that wants to connect the world. No, we're not a search engine. We are the framework for how you function and think. We're not an online bookstore. We're an online everything store. Companies don't just come up with lofty goals and poetic marketing language because it's fun. They do it because their ability to get venture capital depends on it. Silicon Valley VCs aren't usually interested in small businesses. They aim to find companies that can grow big and fast and double, triple, or quadruple their investments. Bonus points if that business has some sort of proprietary technology that gives them a leg up on competitors. Stuff that no one else is allowed to copy, like patented hardware or scientific discoveries. In that sense, HQ is in a weird gray area. On one hand, it very much felt like a technology company. It was invented by two social media entrepreneurs who had secured buckets of money from investment firms in Silicon Valley. And its product, a live trivia show, very much depended on the technical capabilities of its interface. On the other hand, it was easy to copy. There was nothing stopping any other tech companies, namely a giant like Facebook, from Xeroxing their format and launching their own interactive trivia shows. In fact, there were already lesser copycats. Just a few months before, a shameless HQ replica called The Q had launched. In Q says, happy, happy Thursday. Who is ready to play some trivia and hopefully go home a few dollars richer? I'm your host, Poppy Miller. We are giving away $100 tonight. 
HQ's main draw, and one of the reasons it became so popular in the first place, was its high-quality production, its talent, its brand recognition, otherwise known as elements of a traditional media company, elements that are much, much harder to scale. As Charles Hudson, a partner at Precursor Ventures, told me, a lot of investors just avoid media companies altogether. There are many venture firms and individual venture capitalists who are uncomfortable with media businesses. They don't have a lot of track record for seeing them be successful. They, in many cases, have never worked in a media business. And so I think there's also a prevailing view that technology is what provides leverage. And so if you're not a tech business, can you really get the kind of multiples and exit opportunities that we want to see in tech? This dual identity became an issue for HQ. Was it a tech company or was it a media company? In other words, were they the technical platform on which a whole genre of programming might grow? Or were they a content company that comes up with programming that grooms talent and develops an audience? Scott, the talent, was especially preoccupied with that question. They now all of a sudden have caught lightning in a bottle and have this massive hit show, this hit success. But they didn't have a business plan. They didn't have even a strategy. They didn't have uh, anything other than, we want to create the future of television. Just this vague idea. Though Russ may have understood why it was advantageous to present HQ as a tech company, his design skill set had more to do with establishing a brand. And that's what he did with HQ Trivia. After the company landed that $15 million in funding in early March, which turned out to be one of their best viewership months, it aired its first sponsored game with Nike, where winners received special HQ-branded Air Maxes. Everyone in the office got them, too. You read the articles, you marveled at the digital billboards, and you wondered all day, what is up with Nike and HQ? Well, this is it. Surprise! They also secured a $3 million ad deal with Warner Brothers. But that didn't necessarily mean HQ was suddenly profitable. They were still very selective about who they partnered with and how, to the point where they were turning away lucrative deals. At the same time, they'd been slowly upping their jackpots. It was a way to keep users interested and entice newcomers. And it seemed sustainable given how much growth they were experiencing. We started at $50, then it became 100, 150, 200, 250. And, you know, we try to like plateau it as much as keep it as the same as, as much as possible. So you don't have to spend extra money. But eventually, I guess the plan was we'll have our Sunday night jackpot be the bigger jackpot. So if it's 250 regularly, but 500 for Sunday night, 250 regularly, then 1,000 Sunday night. Then we'll make it 1500 for Sunday. You know, so we just gradually increased that pot. By March, that daily prize money had climbed to $2,500. And in the middle of the month, it was up to $5,000 per game. On top of that, the jackpots for the big Sunday games were usually something like $25,000. Russ was the CEO, so there would be uh, a decision about the prize money. Well, should we keep raising the prize money? And Colin, with his eyes on the numbers as they always were, would say, hey, our numbers don't necessarily correlate to the prize money. Once we were getting to the point where we had sort of reached that saturation. March bled into April, and the novelty of the bigger prizes kept holding people's attention. That and all the celebrity appearances on sponsored games. The 9 p.m. show averaged about 1.27 million players for the month. But then in May, around Memorial Day, there was a sudden shift in viewership. It's that view count. At a certain point, it stopped going up and then it started going down. First, the holiday weekend Sunday show barely cracked a million. With all 980,000 plus of you 
employees chalked it up to timing. It was spring, people were suddenly spending more time outdoors, vacationing and whatnot. Maybe they just needed another big blowout game to get people's attention. At the end of May, HQ partnered with an app called Toon Blast to do a four-game promotion that coincided with the NBA Finals. Each game gave away more and more money. 100, 200, 300, and finally a record-breaking $400,000. But even though they were surpassing a million users for each game, the overall viewership was still declining. The fourth night, the one that was supposed to have this blockbuster jackpot, ended up having the lowest number of people playing in the whole series. No one can say for sure why such a significant number of users started losing interest, but many employees shared their best theories with me. One of them was that HQ's massive popularity was actually sabotaging it from within. Because so many people were playing, it was harder to win large sums of money. Even though HQ had started doing occasional winner-take-all games, the typical prize was now very measly. Not to mention, tons of Discord chats and bots had popped up to help people cheat the game, which made the whole thing feel like it was sort of rigged. It's possible that people also just got bored of playing the same game over and over again. It's the internet. People have short attention spans, and I can personally attest to this. I had stopped playing by then, and not for any reason in particular. I just lost interest. By the end of June, HQ was holding on to just a million viewers, and this downward fall kicked off a whole bunch of other problems. Fewer eyeballs meant brands were less interested in advertising, and fewer advertisers meant that if HQ wanted to run a major jackpot, the company had to front that money itself. Former employees told me there was a shift in the company's energy as the drop continued. The numbers, that's what spoke. There were plenty of times that there were like significant drops, and it was obvious that people were not playing the way that they were before. People were winning dollars and cents opposed to the thousands of dollars. That's going to lower views. People, you know, want to win big money. I think the person who affected the most by it was Scott. <laughs> if you're the host, you're really relying on that number to tell you how well your career is going. Once we started going under a million, I said, Listen, guys, we can't let this go under a million. We hit a million, a million's that sexy number. A million's going to be the number that's going to get us the sponsorship deals, get us the ad revenue. You could say, we got a million people playing. Like, that's the number that gets people attention. Even 900,000, you know, not 800,000. So we started going down, and I just said, we're bleeding out. We're a patient on the operating table, and the doctors are fighting over how to cure this patient. What's the best way to proceed? Meanwhile, nothing's being done, and the blood loss continues. As the numbers began to slip, Employees saw the writing on the wall and began pitching ideas to update the game and attract more players. Scott told me that he was so tortured over this decline that he woke up one night at three in the morning and put together a PowerPoint presentation detailing what was wrong with the company and why they should shift to be more of a media entity. He sent it to Russ, Colin, and all the department leads. Colin, who wasn't precious about the host at all, suggested they run a bunch of shows a day and see how that goes. And Russ? Russ was tinkering. In May, he premiered an offshoot called HQ Sports, and he was adding new features and changes to the main game here and there, like the ability to buy extra lives. Russ and CK both were of the opinion that you know, people are playing HQ because of the technology. They're coming to this thing because you can get on, this, on your phone, you can play this trivia game, you can win money, and the tech enabled all this, and that's the appeal. 
And I would say, okay, maybe in the very, very beginning, sure. But to tune in for the second time, third time, 100th time, it better be an entertaining show. Even as the numbers indicated that HQ was becoming less and less popular, Russ seemed to want to linger on the existing product rather than move on, add to their lineup, and show off all those cool interactive features they had originally developed with hype. A representative for Russ denies this version of events and said that, while Russ and Colin disagreed on minor details, they, quote-unquote, always shared a vision for more games and shows. But multiple employees told me that Russ always thought that giving away a million dollars on the app would revive it because it would generate a bunch of press. He seemed to think they might be able to sustain on publicity alone. My personal theory is that the main failure was to not branch out and put more of our energy into creating new games. And we tried to hold on to that one game a little too long without evolving it. When HQ was on the rise and it was blowing up, you know, I was the animator designer and I was kind of getting sick of some of the designs and I was trying to change them up a bit to evolve it. And he would usually reject my revision ideas. I think his theory was that there was a nostalgic element to it and that if we were to change anything, then we might ruin the nostalgia. People, you know, were playing this game on routine. They were tuning in at the same time every day. And I think he was afraid that if if we changed too much, people were going to get unhappy. In other words, Russ put the product on a pedestal. There's a reason why successful companies like Facebook come up with sayings like move fast and break things in their early days. To keep up with the competition and keep the attention of users, companies need to iterate quickly. How that plays out when your product is farther reaching and more powerful than most governments is a conversation for another podcast. In HQ's case, they were just far too stagnant to keep up with all the other apps vying for attention. And it's possible that Russ thought so highly of HQ that he was in denial that people might lose interest. I remember he said something, you know, I was trying to evolve the game so that it wouldn't get stale. And he said, HQ will be forever, right? Don't you think HQ will be forever? And I kind of looked at him smiling, like, obviously nothing's forever. Are you being sarcastic or not? But I couldn't really tell. He was smiling, but I think he might have actually thought it would be forever. So a few months of this bleed out go by, and by August, the numbers have declined something like 60%. They're forced to sunset one of their two daily HQ trivia airings, the 3 p.m. game. In the meantime, their competitors have multiplied. Facebook finally launched its own version of HQ Trivia, something it called Confetti. Hey everyone, welcome to Confetti. I'm JD Witherspoon, and you know, people are always asking me where the thousands of dollars we give away every day comes from. Just as quickly as HQ rose to fame, it was in serious danger of becoming completely irrelevant. It was time for the board to get involved. HQ's investors already knew something was up. In May, Scott called both Jeremy Liu over at Lightspeed Ventures and Cyan Bannister from Founders Fund to tell them that Russ and Colin weren't getting along. Those two, plus Russ and Colin, made up the entire voting body of the company. Kurt Wagner remembers reporting on the inner politics of the group. Cyan, Founders Fund's motto is kind of like, we're founder friendly. And so we never 
are going to go against a company founder. And so she felt that supporting one over the other was not really in line with the firm's mission. And so she actually recused herself and it became a two versus one kind of situation. Keep in mind, Jeremy had been Colin's ally from the start. After Colin left Fine, Jeremy had tried to recruit him to work at his firm. Colin declined, but eventually pitched him hype. And it was Colin who had introduced Jeremy to Russ. Once the numbers started to slip, it was clear who Jeremy was going to side with. Alan Kroll, Colin's dad, recalls hearing the details from his son. It got very contentious when Jeremy and Colin decided Russ couldn't do the job anymore. And that was based really as much on his people's skills and his priority. Jeremy and Russ didn't get along at all. Colin was Jeremy's guy, never Russ. As long as Colin was willing to go along with things, Jeremy was too. But Jeremy just got to the point he wasn't willing to go along with it anymore. It was just to the point that he had a lot of money in the game and he didn't like the direction Russ was taking it. He wanted a much more diversified approach. He didn't want his whole world wrapped up in one game that everybody kind of knew couldn't keep the momentum forever. So it came down to these three-member board, two against one, Russ is out. Two against one, Colin is in. Asked for comment, Jeremy Liu responded, following a dip in HQ's audience and several issues raised about Russ's leadership, the board unanimously, including Russ, decided he would step down as CEO and Colin would take his place. But Russ did not go easily. In fact, he hatched a few alternate plans. The first was to suggest a different candidate for CEO, someone in-house. One idea was to make me CEO, and he pitched this to me in a, in a one-on-one meeting, and I thought it was nuts, to say the least. I mean, he wanted to also have cameras follow me around and make this a reality show. You'll be CEO and the host, and you know, you'll, you'll stand up there holding two different ties and say, which color tie should I wear today? And have the audience vote on it, and make this whole thing. And I, I thought that was uh, just lunacy. Scott very clearly rejected the idea, but that wasn't the end of it. Do you know about this complaint? This was a, a complaint that an employee filed against Colin to really just throw a wrench into that process. Scott is referring to an email that a female employee sent to HQ's Human Resources in August, which took issue with Colin's behavior in the office. According to reporting in the Wall Street Journal, while the CEO title was in flux, Russ called this employee into his office to ask what she disliked about working at the company. She told him that Colin was erratic and could sometimes impede their ability to get things done. Russ encouraged her to formally communicate those concerns to HR. He later told the Wall Street Journal that when an employee made multiple complaints and expressed that they were scared, they were encouraged to follow company HR policies to report their experience. Given Colin's history at Twitter, the board had to look into this. There had to be a formal investigation, and that slowed down the process by about a month or so. In the end, the investigation found no reason for Colin not to be CEO. The real question was whether or not he could save the company, and most of all, whether he, alone, could handle it. Colin never really wanted to take over the company. I mean, he he did that more by because he had to. It was Colin's turn to take the wheel, whether he was ready or not. Next week on Boom Bust, HQ Trivia. It was framed as, you know, Russ voluntarily stepping down and Colin taking over. And what I learned through conversations was that it was a lot messier than that behind the scenes. 
he was, you know, one of the founders of Vine. And Vine was this crazy internet sensation. But Colin never really got the spotlight. And that was kind of on purpose for him, you know, because he wasn't that type of guy. At that time, Colin had been working just a lot. And, and we were kind of talking about it. And it was like, 60 years from now, when I'm on my deathbed, I don't think I'm going to say, oh, well, thank God I worked on that Saturday. We're not going to say that. And so I was like, you know, take care of yourself and don't work that much. Boom Bust HQ Trivia was written and reported by me, Alyssa Bereznak, and produced by Noah Malale, Isaac Lee, and Amanda Dobbins. It was story edited by Amanda Dobbins and sound designed by Isaac Lee. <laughs>